I think that's starting. You've got a notification. It's good to go. Yeah. Yep. Hear me? Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, so my name is Mohammed Welcome back. Uh, this is We Answer. This is a show where we answer your questions related to applying for and studying medicine. Uh, thanks again uh, for everyone who sends in their questions. Usually, uh, we got a huge amount today. So yeah. Uh, you can send your questions in uh, as usual via email um, mo just mo.weanswer at gmail.com. Otherwise, you can use the Instagram, which is mzl underscore 18, um, and all the links to the podcast. Uh, there's, there's a few blog posts as well on there, so every, everything is up there uh, for you to send for us for the future, future episodes. And um, today we've got another very special guest. Uh, we've got Dr. Mr. Sean Perkin. Perkins. A pleasure to be here. Thank you. Uh, so, so do you mind just introducing yourself? Yeah, well, uh, my name's Sean, Sean Perkis. Um, I suppose my claim to fame is I'm a doctor and uh, <laughs> I qualified um, in 1981 at St Thomas's in London. Uh, but at heart, I'm a South Leicestershire boy. And now at the end of my career, I've come back to, um, to home and, uh, and uh, I've had a little foray in the last year. Uh, working at the University of Leicester, teaching you nice people. Yeah, so I guess for the listeners, just a bit of background between how I came to know Sean and how the relationship was. So within our first two years, the preclinical years, uh, or phase one as we call it, we have um, small group work. And within our, so we have four groups in a room, and within that room we have one uh, one doctor, they can be at any stage in, 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 their, in their training, I guess. Um, so we usually get people that are on the younger side of things, and then you get, like you said, a variety of, <clears throat> excuse me, a variety of people, um, all up until, like you mentioned, you towards towards the end of yours, uh, and I thought you'd be quite interesting because we had quite a quite a bit of a fun time, uh, and and you you got you quite a lot of extensive, uh, I guess, expertise and experience uh, from a career in surgery, which is quite interesting, um, so, I guess we can if we can start from Start from today. Um, how, how has lockdown been been treating you? How has how has how has stuff changed since since I guess we saw you last? Uh, well, um, I think I I think I caught the virus. Um, um, uh, sort of um, lockdown. I think it was on the twenty third of March, which was my birthday, okay. <laughs> and uh, I, I wasn't feeling very well uh, the week before at uh, at the university, and a couple of guys had taken uh, time off because they'd had temperature and all that sort of stuff and were coughing and spluttering in our, in our little um, uh, CTF room, clinical yeah. teaching fellows room. And I think I might have caught it from them because they'd been into the hospital and been doing bank work and stuff. And uh, I picked it up, was very well. Um, <clears throat> and actually, it was, it was not a very nice experience. Uh, I think uh, I didn't have all the typical symptoms. I had cough, uh, didn't really have a temperature. I had some smelly issues, uh, and then um, and then that lasted about. Um, I really wasn't right for about three weeks, and uh, I was having to do the um, because a part of the CTF we have to do this education degree, uh, education diploma, and I had to write an essay for that, and you know, I was complete gibberish coming out. So, yeah. <laughs> so 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 that was that. But then I gradually uh, got better, um, but I, it's a 
if I, I don't know whether I have had it. I mean, I've had a uh, you know the swab test since, and I've not got any uh, still lingering, but I've not had an antibody test. So okay. it was just on a clinical diagnosis of myself. So I might be a li- being a little bit more hypochondriacal, and uh, <laughs> so I might not have had it, or it could have been just the flu. So uh, so that was so I took time off holiday in, but I spent most of that time in bed, and then I gradually improved. I must admit, if it if it was it, it's a nasty bug because um, it's left me with a residual cough, and I don't feel my lungs has got the same capacity as they were, and I reckon it affects the brain as well. I, I'm sort of uh, I'm, I'm not I'm not the sharpest person on the block, and I think I've it been even been blunted even further as a result of this. So um, anyway, hopefully it'll improve and. Um, uh, and we'll see how to go. But uh, no, I actually enjoyed the uh, the lockdown um, and got into a fairly mundane routine of waking up, watching TV and stuff like that. And um, excuse me, that's a telephone. We're right. not having time for it. And um, <clears throat> and uh, so got into a nice routine. I went for regular walks increasingly, and then that yeah. was it. Okay, fair enough. Um, it's quite interesting that he's like. You kind of mentioned that experience. Um, I think I was reading something um, in the news today, and it was saying something about uh, people that have had, I guess, more more of a severe coronavirus than you. Uh, they said the possibility of them having sort of like PTSD kind of kind of symptoms. Um, it, it it is quite interesting because obviously it's new. No one knows anything about the disease, um, so it obviously is a very tragic time to be living in. But at the same time, from my from my um, sort of experience of everything, um, kind of stepping back away from everything else, it it is overall quite interesting. Um, so, so you mentioned have you been working at the hospital recently? I think you mentioned that in your email. I'll just go back to that uh, PTSD business. I, I agree entirely. It, it affects you psychologically, and I remember while I was having it, there was a like a, a um, there was like a like a, a minor delirium going on with a with a uh, a dread. So uh, so yeah, I, I I'd agree with that, and uh, it's it's a bizarre illness. It's not nothing like what I've ever read about or come across, you know, before, uh, and uh, so yeah, so I think we're learning about it all the time. Uh, yeah, but yes, I've um, I've um, now um, left the University of Leicester and I, while I thought I'd better do my bit and so I reapplied under COVID recruitment uh, to see if I could do some um, sort of you know coming back from retirement toward work yeah and yeah and I've just recently started at the uh, LRI working in the emergency. How, how has the kind of the environment been does it, does it feel different or yeah well personally and um and well it's not an environment that i you know got lots of experience of. i mean i've been down to emergency departments all through the world uh, uh but this one uh in the covid situation is completely different you know mm-hmm. you work you're wearing ppe you know there's patients so uh, i mean they're very well organized at the leicester with that they're behind um, glass doors that you can close and there's a there's a physical barrier between you and the patient where you have to change your PPE and do all the donning and doffing uh, in the appropriate way so that's very well organized but the 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 whole the whole work experience uh, after such a long time off I must admit has been a um, been a challenge mm-hmm. yeah okay. um, 
well, like I say, it's nice just it's nice to see that, um, like you mentioned earlier, that you're doing your bit, which is is good. Um, this is the reason why a lot of, for me, as kind of a medical student, um, I didn't think about the volunteering. You know, at, at the start when they were looking for people, um, but I live in I live at home with quite a few of of the vulnerable categories. So I thought um, it's not. I wouldn't say it's really the wisest thing. It's not like um, it's my job where I have to go in, but I did feel like I do want to I do want to kind of help out. Um, but I guess the situation is what it is. Uh, and if... Well, there is a uh, actually on the on the um, on the ward on on the floor. Uh, a young lady came up to me and said, "Hello, Mr. Perkis. Uh, do you remember me? I'm I'm one of your uh, students in your CTF group. So, yeah. and she was doing sort of um, basically health assistant type work, and she was very effective. I think she'd been there for a, uh, for a little while, but you could she she was bombing around like there was no tomorrow. Uh, doing helping out, you know, just little things here and there. Yeah. Uh, she was very helpful. Whereas I'm bumbling along, and I think I'm probably more of a hindrance than uh, than a help. <laughs> uh, it's, it's all good. Um, so if we kind of um, take a step back, you you gave us quite a short introduction at the start um, of kind of your medical career. Um, if we go back, uh, I don't know if it, it might be quite quite a far way back now, but um, <laughs> okay, thanks. If you go back to kind of, I guess, I don't know if, I don't know what school is. Do you want me to go through my CV? Essentially, yeah, but if we, I try to keep it not as informal, but it just, it's just just, just how it is. Um, But I guess kind of how you got towards the end of school and how you ended up in medicine, I guess, at uni. Well, I, I, uh, it's a long time ago, but um, I decided to do medicine uh, um, to look for a job, um, that would have people and also um, uh, have an interest in science. I was interested in biology at the time. And, and also, you know, from, from the economic perspectives as well. Uh, and I suppose there was also an element of competition because we had a local GP son who was in the same year as me, who was a whiz kid and uh, uh, and did very well and went to Cambridge. And and I've got a competitive streak in me. So, so I said, well, if he can become a doctor, I'll have some of that. So um, so that's why I decided to do that. And obviously, it's very nice for your parents, uh, for your parents and for yourself, really. So I, um, I, I did my A-levels, um, but took a year off and went to and did a, did a uh, nine months working in a uh, in a nurse uh, in a, as an as a auxiliary nurse um, down in Henley on Thames, and it was in a um, it was in a uh, it was Townlands Hospital, which it, at that time looked after incurables. And it, and then they had another hospital, which we've called the Memorial Hospital, which did little minor operations with surgeons coming from Reading. And that was an experience that was. So we had people with multiple sclerosis, motor neurone disease, spasticity, uh, cerebral palsy, beg your pardon. And, uh, and, and the kids department was, was horrific, really. It had untreated hydrocephaluses with heads as big as this in, in little, in little three or four year olds. And that was, that was, um, that was, um, uh, remarkable, um, life changing really to see these, these little children. And, uh, but then it, it was clear right from the start that when I went to the other hospital where they saw surgery, I was dead keen to actually go in and talk to the surgeon, see what they were doing. And, uh, and by that time, you know, I got my, got my, um, 
got my post, you know, got my uh, um, uh, medical school position at uh, St. Thomas's. And it was clear all the way through that uh, I wanted to be a surgeon. And um, so just that was it, really. And um, and uh, although when I qualified at, uh, uh, so when I did my um, uh, my electives, which uh, which was in my final year, I went to Malaysia. Okay. And out there I did, uh, as a medical student, I must have done about six or seven appendicitis and, and, and a hernia, would you believe? And, was just you or the other people? Oh no, there was, there was always a registrar or consultant. They were all very nice uh, in Malaysia. The uh, the uh, the public health service is is um, populated by uh, sort of Indian heritage people, and uh, and they were very uh, very accommodated, very nice, and very and, and seemed very interested in me. So uh, so that was that was good. So I did I did surgery pediatrics and ophthalmology at that time and in Malaysia, huh? in Malaysia was that that was in Malaysia Penang okay yeah. I, I was asking because uh, we went a few years ago so we generally as a family we go for like a summer holiday I guess um I think it must be about 2014 2015 now um and we went I guess we went all across we went started off with kale um went to the Cameron Highlands I'm not sure if you heard of that um it's kind of where the, the British that's why it's called Cameron the British, uh, I don't know if he was a general or whatever. Um, it's quite interesting. It's, it's, very, it's a nice place to go to. Uh, the Cameron Highlands was like the, the tea area. So, you know, we're Brits, we, we love our tea. Uh, and you can smell the tea in the air. It's like, it's amazing. Um, but it's so interesting because you go along the roads and the road, because it, it was a British colony, I guess, we, they drive on the same side as us. And every, every little while along the roads and on the mountains, they've got a cafe and all they sell is tea tea and scones with cream and jam that's all they sell everywhere uh, so it's really nice and then we went to Penang as well um which is good um yeah well I well I, I fell in love with Malaysia I like the multiculturality um uh, although there's problems with Malaysia I mean to a certain extent you could call it an apart uh, slightly apartheid uh, but actually, as a country, it's wonderful. Um, you know, the Chinese, the Indian and the Malay foods and the Malay heritage is all sort of intermingled in this, uh, you know, um, humid, steamy environment. Uh, and uh, yeah, it's good. And uh, I used to go there in the morning uh, to the hospital, finish it around about two and then cycle to the uh, local beach in Penang called Batu Shringi. And uh, and then occasionally, you know, either um, um, just swim or just uh, or I, I had to go on one of those parascending things. Mm. Uh, so that was yeah, that was an experience. But actually, also in Malaysia, while, while I was there, I, I went to you say KL, just outside of KL, they had a, um, a leprosarium at Sungai Bulu. Uh, so I went there for a week and uh, met a, an English guy uh, who was like the uh, CEO there or CA, whatever. And uh, uh, and so I went there and I also spent a couple of weeks in Singapore. So, yeah, so that was good. Um, so you mentioned the three things you did, which was ophthalmology. Did you say ENT? I know, paediatrics. Paediatrics. And what was the Surgery, surgery. Yeah, I spent most of the time doing surgery. Okay, um, so you you kind of mentioned your interest in surgery. 
was it nothing else that was kind of deviating you away from that during medical school or nothing came close? Um, <clears throat> no, not really. <clears throat> no, I was, and, uh, and it was sealed when I did my house officer posts, which is pre-foundation year. We're talking 1981. Um, <clears throat> no, 1980, sorry. And, um, and I, I worked for a, a surgeon down in London called Peter Savage. Uh, who's a vascular surgeon and he was just uh, a mentor and a role model uh, which I aspired to but have never achieved he was so good okay um so uh, that was after medical school right so mm -hmm. you, how, how long were you were you in that post for six months okay and then what what kind of what was after that I then, uh, well, then I did, before that, I did my house officer jobs, which was actually probably, I did that straight out of medical school. Okay. And that was actually, <clears throat> and you learn so much in, the, in that year, in those house yeah. officers year, and I especially learned in my medical job. And I almost, I actually enjoyed it so much doing medicine, that I almost thought about switching, because uh, I was getting so, uh, so much hands-on experience, you know. But I was always interested in the practical procedures, yeah. you know, sticking in the chest drains, doing the CEP lines, Putting in the putting in the pacing wires um, and and stuff like that, and uh, so I was always practically based. And then uh, when I went to the surgery, I was sort of um, reined in a bit and and say, you know, it's all about the attention. His his catchphrase, Peter Savage, was attention to detail is the secret of success, uh, and uh, which uh, has 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 plagued me ever since because uh, unfortunately I, I don't have those qualities. <laughs> I'm a broad sweep sort of person. <laughs> okay, so and then so you did that one year and then you did the six months uh, with Peter Savage as you're talking about. Um, and then what, what kind of was next after that? I then went into, uh, I then came to Coventry, did a, a, a year in, uh, six months general surgery, six months A&E with orthopedics. And then I had a job down in September because I was London and yeah. London, once you come out of London, you think the rest of the country is is behind. And so I took the year in Coventry and I thought, oh, dear, I don't like this. And so so I then decided to go back to London. And so then I had a, work, uh, a year in um, at St. Mary's uh, as an SHO uh, doing urology and cardiothoracic. So I don't know whether you know, do they still have the lecture notes uh, series of books? Anyway, you know, you know, medicine, you know, those medical books called the lecture notes. You have lecture notes on medicine, lecture notes on this. Not heard of those. Uh, to be honest, Rob, I don't use any textbooks. I just uh, use, uh, <laughs> use like online resources. Anyway, there was a famous cardiology book yeah. you know, for him. So, um, so yeah, so that was, uh, so that was that. And uh, then after that, I got my primary, and then uh, and then went and did some registrar jobs, and then uh, got my fellowship during my registrar jobs. So you mentioned that the next the lecture notes. I'm just having a look at that. What was it? What is it called? No, I'm actually now. I'm thinking about it. I'm mixed up. I'm mixing up uh, St Thomas's with uh, St Mary's. Um, uh, the lecture notes in cardio cardiology was co-written by a St Thomas's guy who I also did a small bit of time with called Brainbridge, uh, but the uh, the cardiothoracic was uh, mainly with um, Sapsford and Rex de la Stanbridge. Okay, 
I think that, Arfano, that, that was almost the, the sideline I went into out of surgery, cardiothoracic, uh, because I then did another six months, actually a little bit longer than six months uh, as a registrar uh, for at the Royal London Hospital doing, um, you know, bypasses and thoracotomies and stuff. See, see, so what you mentioned is you kind of did these six six months, I guess, or, or two-year stint. Was it, I'm guessing the training pathways were different back then, is that why? Or? Yeah, you make it, you, you make your own pathways. Okay. So, so that there wasn't any any uh, any um, sort of formulated pathways, yeah. and 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 as a consequence, it was it was Darwinian, uh, in that you know the good people got the good jobs and the less good people got the less good jobs, and you sort of fell off that fell off the fell off the ladder accordingly, or you got better trained with the better jobs and things like that so so no I, I um it was only as a registrar that I got a like a training pathway so I got a fellowship and then I went to the Royal London Hospital as a registrar and went through a whole variety of um of specialties I did pediatrics pediatric surgery general surgery cardiothoracic surgery and something else I can't remember now oh a bit of research huge variety of stuff so if you, um, so maybe you just go back a bit. How did you how did you go about deciding which one of these kind of little six months or one year stints to, to do? Oh, well, you just looked at the BMJ and looked for jobs. Okay. Um, the um, the Coventry job was just a BMJ one, uh, and I just applied for it and I got it. The St Mary's job was I did a locum pre, and I, I made a good impression. Uh, and they gave me the year job following that and then um, and then I moved out and then did a locum is registrar in Slough and used that to get into the London post Uh, and then from there I stayed at the Royal London which is in the East End from when was it Uh, must have been about 1980 yeah it was 87 and stayed there until 2002 so, so, yeah, yeah, so quite a large stint there. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've kind of, from that the, the Royal London, the time you were there, what what was kind of, if you can say, a, a typical day, what, what did that kind of look like for you? Well, I, I, I went through the grades there. So I was a registrar there, and then I was a senior registrar there, and then I became a senior lecturer stroke consultant. So it's, it's all a bit mergy, so I can't remember what it was like. Um, but... Uh, uh, I suppose I had uh, so I mean every day started starts with a ward round, and mm. uh, you go and see the patients, and uh, you then go round, and then you uh, and then you try and nip that in between before the theatre sessions or before the outpatient sessions, and you know it was often very you know an early start and late finish, so half sevens and um, late finishes, you know six six thirty. Uh, especially in outpatients. But I remember the gruelling thing was, was that the Royal London uh, and Mile End hospitals was the, the on-call rotor. So for, for, there was a small hospital, which only was only probably a mile away from the Royal London Hospital. And they, had, they, they, they staffed that with surgeons and they only had two surgeons to cover a full-time duty. So you're on a one in two. Yeah. So, uh, so that was ridiculous. And then at the Royal London Hospital, 
I remember I worked for a guy who used to always um, be on call on a Monday, such that it meant that whenever I did a weekend, I'd start on a Friday morning and I wasn't out really until a Tuesday evening and I was in the hospital for the whole time. And, you know, that that is just from health and safety perspective, especially as a surgeon, it's just ridiculous, you know. And to a certain extent, I resent those times, that, that sort of load of hours, which were just basically wasted time because it wasn't all training. I mean, you were in the hospital and things, but you weren't sort of nose to the, um, uh, you know, whatever, you know, you, you're, you know, doing operations, seeing patients all the time. But, you know, a lot of it was hanging around and stuff, waiting for on calls or, you know, waiting for theatres and just to, you know, incise an abscess or something like that. So, yeah, so that, that so it was a long and grueling um, um, uh, uh, pre-consultant training. Okay. Um, so you kind of, so we've seen you were, you were at the Royal London for, for I guess, like I said, a, a quite a big chunk of time. Um trying to think was it did you see any I guess any changes in in I guess the NHS or the hospital as a whole that over that period of time can you, can you talk about yeah yeah well the biggest thing that happened especially in surgery and you have to remember all these things were evolving all the time was the introduction of laparoscopic surgery okay uh, and um, <clears throat> so that occurred sort of late 80s, early 90s. And I've been, like, for instance, the operation that I've done throughout my career, which was a cholecystectomy, and I've just done millions of them. And um, the uh, where I did my first laparoscopic cholecystectomy in about 1992, and I was quite early doing them, and, uh, <laughs> you know, compared to the rest of the country. Uh, and But by that time, I've probably done hundreds of cholecystectomies open. Um, so, so there was that, and then everything was evolving. And, and so, what was happening is that uh, in that time, you, uh, I suppose, the biggest thing I remember is is that the, the the governance of the introduction of this new technology was problematic. You know, people were going away on a limb. It was the, the old adage: "See one, do one, teach one." was uh was 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 prevailing and it was quite wrong really and accidents were happening uh, uh and new um and new instruments were being brought into to use and i must admit i came a cropper with one of those and uh, uh and uh, so yeah it was poorly organized these this introduction of new technology and i think i think I get the impression now is that people are starting to understand that uh, more and more and, and starting to take a little bit of control of that. And the Royal College Associations are probably doing that. And I suppose the other thing was, is that the, 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 the gradual change of uh, moving, um, say, like colonic surgery, um, all that's being done laparoscopically now. Uh, and so, yeah, so that's good. Okay. Um, and so you mentioned, I think you mentioned earlier, you were doing some some research while you were there. Can you? Anyway, I've done, I've always been interested in research, okay. and I've always and I've always had a, um, uh, I've always wanted to produce the odd paper uh, here or there, um, and so I did. Um, what did when I was at the when I was at the um, when I was at St Mary's, I did an interesting project on 
residual urine in bladders. <laughs> and then I did um, I did my astral masters in, in surgery at the Royal London with Professor Williams and did it on photodynamic therapy, which is a, um, a treatment which is a cancer treatment which is activated by light and kills cancer cells. Uh, I did that in liver cancer. And uh, <clears throat> and I suppose I've got an interest uh, through my career in, in the mechanics of uh, an audit of uh, uh, general emergency surgery. I've always been interested in appendicitis, always been interested in emergency laparotomy and uh, trying to improve things there. Uh, and also uh, later on, I got interested in... Um, um, you know, upper GI bariatric surgery. So, uh, assessing the assessing the um, the results of bariatric surgery and being able to cherry pick the patients that would do well with bariatric surgery. Okay. Um, so, if we kind of I think we've we've got up to your time at the end of um, was it the Royal London Hospital? Yeah. Um, so, so, what was kind of next for you after that? Uh, well. Um, well, I uh, was seen a lecturer there, and uh, and uh, probably um, was doing quite well in terms of getting doing from the educational point of view. Was doing a lot of teaching and uh, was, that, was involved. Was that a university or in? Yeah, Queen's Queen's University is now. It was uh, it was um, yeah, it was Queen's University, and um, which is just on the um, on the. Whitechapel Road, um, so between um, Whitechapel and um, Mile End, <clears throat> and uh, so, but things weren't ha things weren't moving for me, and other people were getting uh, were doing better than I was. So I uh, and as I said, I came a cropper with one of these things, and that, that was the time for me to move when I when I had a patient uh, adverse event, uh, and uh, so I moved from. Uh, from there to Whips Cross, which is in northeast London, the, the, the hospital where David Beckham was born, I think, or okay. something so, like that. So, so the people that listen to this podcast that are Londoners will understand what the area that you're talking about. And for me, a person who has just touristy knowledge of London, uh, these places, honestly, I'm just okay. <laughs> it's, in, it's in the northeast. I understand, I understand where the northeast is. Well, uh, yeah. what's it? Uh, Brick Lane is the nearest place. Uh, you could go to Brick Lane for a curry, uh, 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 and uh, so that was nearby. And uh, so, yeah, it's East London. So, um, yeah, it's quite uh, quite a, a diverse community um, with um, initially Irish, then Jewish, then Chinese, and now more recently Bengali, Somalians, and Eastern Europeans. It's a big melting pot of people that come there. So I guess um, you kind of mentioned the adverse e event during surgery, um, and it, for me as a student, other other maybe students or doctors, I guess, it is always something that possibly we have to deal with, um, not just yourself actively being involved, but just happening in general. Obviously, these things happen. People you have to get used to, I guess, the death of a patient. Um, so how how would you say you go about dealing with that kind of a situation? Well, I've got no clues because uh, I've taken it. I, I took it badly and I've taken it badly ever since. Um, I, I had a. Um, I had. I was reading an article the other day. Um, uh, well, no, uh, late last year from an Australian who um, 
who uh, a guy who was reflecting on his long career and he, he was saying how um these sort of disasters sort of hanker on the mind but they they they, they overpower the everyday mundane successes that you have as a doctor so you've you've helped loads and loads of people in your career but actually at the end of it you just think about those two or three or four or five uh, uh, bad things that have happened um, and uh, you know so yeah you have to be able to deal with that and I I don't think I've got any I don't think I probably dealt with it in the best of ways and I must admit it brought me down and uh, but other people uh, have um, you know can cope with it and I suppose that probably uh, infiltrates the type of person that you meet that has that does a, that is a surgeon you know that they they do sometimes become a little bit doc martinish and a bit um a bit aloof or a bit a bit sort of looking to be uncaring uh but um sometimes it's a self uh, um uh, self-protective mechanism uh, but no uh when they do happen i, I haven't got any any um any answers to how to cope with it? Okay. It's bad it, when it happens. Mm. Okay. Um, so you kind of mentioned you moved to to East London at the hospital, um, and so I guess what what sort of thing was what were you doing after that? I then went to Whips and then focused mainly on uh, upper GI surgery, benign, and uh, and that was um, that was a lovely job, and uh, uh, it, it had. Um, you know, I was getting, I was able to, um, uh, yeah, it was lovely, a uh, nice part of town, uh, plenty of good clinical work, nice little bit of private practice, uh, and, um, and uh, yeah, it was good, and uh, I, I was enjoying it, and, and I think uh, I've kept in contact with a couple of juniors that came through, through me at that time, you know, they, they said they enjoyed it, so I think uh, a happy boss makes for a happy team, which makes for happy, you know, um, trainees. And, and, you know, I reflect on that time as uh, nicely, yeah. Okay. Um, so, I don't know how many years that, that was ago. Um, About seven. Okay. So, what, what were you doing between there and, I guess, between starting up here at the uni again? Oh, I, I went, I then got a call from an old mate who introduced me to Curry's as a medical student. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. he was in he was in Australia and he said to me, "Come over to Australia and become a professor." Okay. And I said, "Oh, I don't." And um, but anyway, it never materialised. He's it was always a bit of a wide boy. And uh, so, but anyway, he 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 was able to manage to get me. Uh, the, what happened was the family became interested in in actually moving. And so I was leaving this. Uh, so we decided to go, although I was leaving this lovely job up in northeast London. And, um, and we went to New Zealand. OK, so how 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 is that for you compared to, I guess, working and living in the UK? Uh, well, the, the, the job itself was was marvellous. Um, you know, I because I, towards the end of my tr surgical training, I was a breast surgeon, but didn't do it at Whips or, or London Hospital, but that at uh, they wanted a breast surgeon and they g'd up my um, breast, previous breast experience to get me a job doing breast surgery there and i was able to do my upper gi surgery as well so in terms of that uh, it was it was lovely and new zealand it was right up the top and uh and it was a lovely hospital clean 
a hospital worked like a sewing machine and had another little hospital which was right at the far north which was lovely as well so that's right yeah but new zealand is good and it's nice and it's very beautiful but you are at the end of the world <laughs> far from everywhere, everywhere. It is far <laughs> and i suffered from fomo fear of missing out and it seemed constantly i was either watching english tv or coming home for an english conference or something like that just to get my english fix and 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 so uh, to solve that uh, without i because uh, I, I i became unwell as well uh, and then uh, so i decided to i burnt out basically and then um i then sort of packed it in and went to australia okay because my, my my family wanted to go there because of their connections okay and then so what were you doing in australia were you just well, I packed it in, so I decided to do, but I, because I've always been interested in further education, yeah. I did a, a master's and then uh, I started doing a PhD. Okay, what was that master's in? Admin, uh, health administration. Okay, and then the, the PhD was? On health data science, but uh, attached to uh, surgical and public health perspectives. Okay, so I guess you've got that. Uh, what did they call it? Double, double doctor, yeah. double doctorship. I'm Doctor Mister, Doctor Doctor Mister. <laughs> Sorry, one more time. One more time. <laughs> no, I, I I feel sometimes I've got too many, so many qualifications. I feel like one of those Korean generals. You know those ones with the with the badges that go down the arm, the front, and yeah. the front of the thigh and things. So yeah, is it? I've got so many qualifications. It's embarrassing. <laughs> I thought you'd be proud of them. <laughs> no, I, uh, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. I mean, even this year, uh, teaching you guys, which has been very nice, uh, a, a diploma in education came with it. Uh, and so I've now even I've got four extra letters after my name uh, uh, just for doing it, uh, saying hello, you know, listen to the group work. <laughs> it's kind of funny because... Um... Obviously, you don't come to the lectures, but we have guest lecturers on. Um, and like you mentioned, when they have their introductory slide with their name introducing themselves, and they've got their MD, BSc, MS, whatever, AFP, BLE, and all that kind of thing, we kind of, everyone has a little bit of a laugh at them. Yeah, well, I, well, I think I could beat most people. <laughs> okay. Um, so you mentioned that you came to Leicester because I guess you said you grew up here, right? Mm, personal reasons as well yeah. uh, and uh, so yeah I'm a Leicester boy so and uh, I know South Leicester I'm from Wixton which is down south yes. uh, but then was brought up in Countersault which is a bit further south there. and then uh, now I'm living in Market Harbour. Okay so I think I had my uh, you know the first years do the the Vecchi or the Vicky a uh, little bit of experience I think I had mine in Market Harbour. Oh yeah. Um, Oh, I forgot what the hospital's called. Yeah. Luke St. Luke's. St. Luke's, yeah. Um, it's quite a nice little town, actually. Got a bit of a nice little town centre. Not too bad. It's Just, called uh, Goldilocks Town. Because town, it's, uh, it's got all the nice little things and it's got good access to the Lon to London by rail. And and so, as a consequence, property prices here are very high. <laughs> yeah, I think... Um, but St. Luke's wasn't... It wasn't a brilliant experience for me because... Um, no. So, so 
So we do one week in the GPs and one week in hospital. Um, and the GPs I was in was in Oldby and really great experience. Um, GP is not my favorite thing anyway, but um, over, they organized it very well. It was, it was quite good. And, and then we came to St. Luke's. Um, and if you're, in, if you're away from Leicester, you only go Tuesday to Thursday. Um, the Monday and a Friday are like a debrief and intro session. Um, and the fact of St. Luke's was there's no doctors on the ward apart from Monday and Friday. And we're there Tuesday to Thursday. So we missed um, any shadowing any doctors. Oh, so right. we were, the, the nurses were quite busy, so they didn't have much time for us. So we were with the physiotherapists. Um, and I think a physician's associate uh, came came on the Thursday. But it was it was more of an experience in terms of getting to chat to patients uh, and kind of getting to know them and their experience, and that kind of a thing. It wasn't really a huge insight into what doctors actually do. It was, it was more of that different kind of experience. Um, well, I think that sounds good actually, because it sounds like you've got good experience there, because you, uh, you probably saw some perspectives of how allied health workers probably treat doctors. <laughs> yeah, I, like I said, it wasn't. It was there wasn't there wasn't many doctors there. Um, and it was. I think they, they call it a, a step down. Step down hospital or something? I don't know. I've never been there. But uh, apparently they do clinics and they do endoscopy there. So I don't know whether that's... Uh, uh, so that's uh, yeah. yeah, I didn't see any of that. Um, we, the physios were quite um, welcoming to us, so we were just with them most, most of the time. Um, uh, well, physios are, are, are um, you know, they have a, a lot of knowledge. Um, and because uh, uh, I, was, I was teaching them down similar sort of things to you guys down in Australia. I mean, I was at La Trobe University and I was teaching anatomy there and the the physios are, are the highest of the high because, you know, because it's the, they're the, considered the top-notch allied health care medical, uh, allied medical professionals. And, yeah, they're very good, very good. Yeah. Um, so if you just talk about um, your experience of the past year with, with our crazy groups, <laughs> it's been good uh the thing about medical students is the different from the allied health you know because I, I i told you you know i had uh <clears throat> the last two years three three years i was teaching at latrobe uh to um allied health work care workers you know so it was a mixture of physios uh podiatrists health information uh, scientists and uh, what do you call them? Audiologists in training and things like that. Uh, and they were, they were, they were, they were lovely people. And um, and uh, and I knew what was going to happen. Together, what you're going to say? I know, I know, I knew what was going to happen uh, because um, medical students are very, very bright, mm. and it's a step up, you know. And with that comes uh, a certain amount of um in in certain individuals um some attitude in, in occasions you know uh and uh so that was that's all i mean everyone's different and i i, I uh, enjoy that uh so i was i was ex so I, at my interview i said look I, I i'm a little bit worried because then the medical students may be too smart for me <laughs> and i think they probably were and uh, because things have changed, I was teaching the curriculum, which I'd not really looked at, or with some of the curriculum hadn't been even in, 
established when I was doing it the last time. You know, the renal work was absolutely oh, gobsmacked. Oh dear, uh, and. Uh, uh, you know, because, you know, when you when you do an operation or go on a ward round, you don't think, oh, well, you know, this patient has got a loo urine output. So I wonder which uh, which um, iron exchange mechanism is going wrong. You you either give them fluids or you give them a diuretic. You know, you, the, the the management, the management is the is the is the is the final thing. So, yeah, so I was a little bit worried about that. And I, I yeah, I, I had good reason to be. Uh, but no, I, uh, but what I was was impressed with was the uh, the ability of everybody, the, the actual system of the, what do you call them, the Bay, Bay, um, Melbourne groups, um, yeah. uh, that to work as teams and how good some teams worked and how, and uh, but also that there were some dysfunctional teams and there was other uh, other people that were preferred to work alone and things like that. And uh, so I was I was impressed by that, that how well people got on and worked as a team, uh, because when I was a medical student, it was it was a free for all. It was everyone for themselves, you know, and, and, and my career was sort of elbowing people out of the way and getting your own education and training. Whereas I was impressed with how um, um, the students embraced teamwork and learning as a team. And I think it's the only way to do uh, because. Uh, as doctors, you have to, you can't achieve anything without being part of a team. You know, there's no, there's no, um, you can't be prima donnas in a medical situation. Uh, you know, you, you require uh, a liaison, collaboration, and, um, you know, co cognitive help in a variety of ways. And you've got to be able to deal with that, work with that, to be able to get the most effective way for your uh, outcomes for your patients. And uh, so I'm, I was impressed with how a University of Leicester identifying that and using questions and group work to be able to um, uh, develop uh, knowledge. But I was also impressed with you guys, how well you had accepted it and, and ran with the ball and, and dealt with it. Yeah, especially, uh, especially your table, Mohammed. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, and I'm going to say with all the people, um, the group work situation is probably probably the best um, aspect of my first two years um, like I say lectures for me they're not really the best you kind of just got a person speaking at you most of the time um, and they're quite variable but the group work um, it's quite a good situation uh, and hopefully our group wasn't uh, too difficult too difficult for you I think we're kind of we're a nice middle road of the group we're nice and relaxed and chill but everyone's different and you've got to be able to cope with uh, you know the diversity of personality diversity of educational needs and um you know they're the main main things that you have to deal with uh and <clears throat> um and i think everyone was there and uh, would cope with it there was a few sort of people that we had to sort of sort of have a little friendly word to but no it was fine mm. so yeah no it was it was lovely yeah i mean i think i probably had the noisiest group it wasn't your group it was the one next door <laughs> But um, so, yeah, so, so yeah, that's sort of that one, especially towards the end of lockdown. Did you go all stir crazy towards uh, towards the end of March? Yeah, I think the I think the two years were weighing on us and we needed, you know, because so essentially we finished uni two weeks early than we would have. Um, so I think those two weeks were kind of supposed to be a let off the steam and kind of relaxation weeks. But I don't think we got, we got that. So it's kind of building up rather than... 
Uh, certainly on the last day, on that Friday, it was everyone was a little bit sort of thing. No, but actually, no, I, I, I really enjoyed it. And uh, um, uh, I, I came with probably preconceived ideas on how you should do things, especially with anatomy. I, I thought that the, I, I got the impression that in the, um, in the dissecting room, there's those that wanted to do it and those that clearly didn't want to do it. It was it seemed to be quite binary. Uh, and uh, so I, I did notice that. And I suppose I did reflect upon, uh, you know, the 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 whole um, whole anatomy experience in the dissecting room, you know, because most of the anatomy you see in a um, say an operation or a, is or is it, or when you examine someone, it's surface anatomy or radiological anatomy uh, and surgical anatomy. You know, you never see all the nerves and things. You just make a hole and you try and keep away from anything that's dangerous. Uh, same with orthopedics, that what they do is that they cut down uh, to the bone and once on bone, stay on bone because that way they stay out of trouble. Uh, so from an anatom anatomical perspective, it's probably, you know, less... That's useful. So, but no, but I think I think getting the whole whole um, uh, the whole variety, you know, I think they could have, uh, which I would say in Latrobe is they had what's called the dry lab and the wet lab. Wet lab being the dissecting room, but then they had dry lab. They had you know plastinated models. They had big models. They had X-rays and things like that. And they it was half and half. And I think a lot of them got it got more um, anatomical benefit or learning from the dry lab rather than actually going into the um you know seeing the specimens yeah it is interesting that you say that because there is a divide some people just don't like dissection and then some people do um but i don't know if you if you saw there was a contrast between first year teaching and second year teaching because in first year we didn't have um some of the things in second year where it was those quizzes um and the extra side rooms were being utilized um, first year we didn't have those so in the second year it was good to see the extra resources being incorporated in um, I guess yeah um, I guess while we're on the topic um, any any tips for learning anatomy I don't know From I think you have to I, I mean I think you have to I think you have to find out what is the way that you learn the best you know I used to quite like acronyms you know, mnemonics, sorry, uh, you know, I used to make up mnemonics. Um, uh, and, and I'm also quite a visual learner. So I, in my first year of medical school, I just used to do drawings all the time. And uh, because I had to do anatomy as well, not only for first and second year, I had to do anatomy again for my primary fellowship as well. So I had to relearn it again. Uh, and so that was, that was the thing. So yeah, so f find a good book. Um, I know, although I haven't got a, I haven't got an anatomy book now. I, I sort of, it's all very focused. You know, you think, oh well, Wikipedia operator internus, Wikipedia uh, biceps femoris. You know, and then sometimes, you know, you might think, well, you've got a triceps over here and a biceps over there, and you know, you can't put them all together. So that's probably where the anatomical dissection, the dissection room comes in, and seeing them all sort of scratched together. So, yeah, I, I think you have to identify the, the way that you think that you best learn. And I think everyone's different. Okay. Um, so if, if you think of maybe a hypothetical situation, say in my position, uh, I guess I'm coming to the, to the end of second year, I'm starting my clinical placements. Um, say I definitely knew I wanted to be a surgeon uh, in, in the future. Have you got any kind of tips, any advice for what I should be doing in the next few years? 
Yeah, well, I would have thought. I mean, I, I, I sort of you can, you know, sort of you. Everyone qualifies with the same same degree at the end of it, but it's what you do in that degree, those little extras. So I did. I went and did um, an, a surgical elective. Uh, I went for a actually I I went for a surgical prize but didn't get it but I got an Obsingani one and uh, the uh, so yeah so I don't know whether they have prizes and things like that but then but then get yourself a good job uh, at the end of it uh, at the end of it and then do your uh, um, um, in your foundation years but I was speaking is it Maisha I was speaking to her uh, she because she was wanting to do it as well and she was saying that there are little opportunities that like little masters or little degrees that you can do which are allied uh so you know just just to uh think that you're actually while you're a medical student you're actually making your own cv and if you've got a good idea what you want to do you should start start to try and nuance your own cv along those lines and i think it would look very good is to have a like a little case report or a little uh thing that you could have published um like, for instance, at my medical school, a guy uh, did very well. Um, I think he got a very good job. And what he did was he just wrote a letter to the BMJ and it got published. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for a 200 word little little thing to get a good line with BMJ written on your on your on your CV is good. So, I mean, everyone says publish or perish. Uh, so, yeah, having something having something in the in the literature at an early stage would be a good idea. But also, um, I think find something that you actually enjoy you might find if you wanted to do surgery did you do you want to do surgery uh it's kind of a hypothetical question as in if i did if there's anyone uh, out there yeah. that did. well you could apply to anything you know just just to make sure that you do a little bit of it and make sure that you like it i mean i think the biggest thing i, th- I think is the culture shock that you get from being a student to actually now working on the wards uh, uh you know that is you know you are young you are um very adaptable and um and energetic and so you can cope with it but there is a big difference between being a student and being in a doctor you know there is a responsibility that comes with the job yeah um so <coughs> we've just got a f- excuse me okay we've just got a couple of questions left yeah. um so i guess we've talked about some sometimes in a life where i guess you felt a little bit burnt out um, so how, how do you deal with stress? Any extracurricular things, I guess, like, that you do or you used to do? Oh, yeah. Well, the biggest thing that's with me is my I'm a guitar player, classical guitar player. OK. Um, so I um, uh, that's been with me forever, really. Um, so it got me into medical school um, because um, um, and so when so they I mean most of my interview at St Thomas's was uh, you know well, what do you do and I say oh, I play classical guitar and I've done this concert that concert and the other so so well, we'll have him so they they seem to like that and I did I, I did play some concerts uh, I did a concerto for um, which the dean liked and so that made me quite prominent uh, and then uh, and then. I used to take it around with me and uh, when I was on call and stuff and uh, uh, yeah, so it used to be that. And the other thing I like like what doing is watching TV. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I can blob out in front of the t- TV quite easily. So guitar and TV. Any any TV shows that you watched recently? Any that you can recommend? Uh, uh, recently, yeah, there was some. What is it? 
Oh. My, my favourite is Foil's War. Um, okay. my, it's a, it's a di TV detective series. Oh, there's something that I've watched recently. Now you got me there. Uh, uh, so what is it? Uh, I like the Antiques programme. When, when I was in New Zealand, uh, I used to watch uh, Dickinson's Real Deal and Antiques Road Trip and Antiques... Uh, an antique bargain hunt quite a lot uh so that was because it's quite twee it's quite easy re listening uh e easy watching i also quite like watching uh, in, in, uh football i like football mm. so you support leicester oh, okay fair leicester enough. City. yeah <laughs> that's, that's good um oh well they lost yesterday didn't they so that's not so yeah good. big disaster i think that they're yeah they've lost some momentum recently They've not really started up again since the restart, yeah. have they? No. But I went. I was able to go. Uh, watch, I watched the game with Ryan, um, uh, one of the other CTFs, and that was really good. Yeah. Which game was it? I think it was versus Derby. I think it was, and it was a it was a bit of a boring draw. Okay. Um, the final question is one that I just ask to everyone that's come on, all the doctor guests that we've had. Um, so if, if if money wasn't an issue and you didn't have to work. Um, for the sake of earning money, um, would you still want to be doing medicine uh, in in a full time capacity, or what would what would you be doing? Well, at my stage of life now, I guess if you had to think back and you had to, at, at, at my stage of life now, it's very easy. No, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but um, look, I think medicine. I think I, I was a bit blinkered when I went in. You know, when you do surgery, you have to be blinkered because if you start. If you start looking at other things because you think your career is not progressing, people sense that and your competitors sense that, your, your bosses sense that and you're out, you're wiped out. So you have to have that blinkered focus. But I think now, I think it's it, it's obvious that you can get portfolio careers. So you can have a bit of this, a bit of that and a bit of the other. And they can be quite diverse. And I, I think the best best way to set yourself up for a portfolio career is to do general practice uh, and uh, because that is general and you can do this that and also you can you can switch between these this and that as you go become more senior whereas as, as a surgeon or or whatever you become super specialists and there's nowhere there's no there's no um, sort of place to step to that's easy so if you fall off the uh, the greasy pole you fall right down to the bottom Okay, that's a, that's a great answer, very interesting. Um, and I think we're pretty much, we're pretty much there with the end of the episode. Uh, thanks very much again for Sean for coming on. Um, and always, if anyone has any questions as usual, the email is mo, mo.weanswer at gmail.com. Uh, the Instagram is mzo underscore 18. Um, thanks everyone again for listening and thanks again for Sean for coming on. And we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye.